Welcome, my friends, to another episode of Is That Really Legal? with Eric Rubin. Today, I have guests on this program who I literally met in the park. We ran across each other in Prospect Park, which is in Brooklyn, which is a lovely place. And they are two of the powers behind something called Holes in the Wall Collective, which you can find out more about at holesinthewallcollective.org. They're uh, two amazing people, um, Dira Rauch and Julia Meeks, and you'll hear them identify themselves. But in any event, this organization um, creates residencies both in an actual place and uh, out in the world. They're about creativity and artistry and programs that make an impact on a personal level and on a larger level. It's such a big mission, it's hard for me to explain it in a short period of time. I'm going to let our conversation guide you. And also, you'll want to go to hallsinthewallcollective.org to get more information about them, this organization, and their mission. I just thought they were really cool, the organization was really cool, and this podcast is designed to have an impact, not just to entertain, which I hope it does, but I really want us to make a difference as we're going through this transition from uh, almost a coup, uh, certainly fascism of four years, into something that could be better. Um, So why don't you sit back, relax, and enjoy my conversation with Dira Ralph and Julia Meeks of the Holes in the Wall Collective. Dear Rao and Julia Meeks, welcome to Is That Really Legal with Eric Rubin. I'm so glad that you could be here. Thanks for having us. We're happy to be with you today. Glad to be Uh, here. um, As I'll probably have said in the intro, I never met you until very recently when we quite literally stumbled upon each other in Prospect Park, Brooklyn, while you were carrying a giant spoon. And I know people like, not another couple of people carrying a giant spoon story. (laughs) I know, but I was taken (laughs) by the fact that you guys looked so cheerful and unmenacing with what could have been a weapon, but was (laughs) not. And I I think I literally said hi, like I screamed out at you or, and then before I knew it, you were hanging out with me and my friends and my wife. And so I'm thrilled that you, uh, after meeting us, still decided that you'd be happy to talk to me. That's really great. <laughs> you know, it's one of the most amazing things about this, yes, giant spoon, um, a six-foot spoon that was born out of, you know, COVID, out of necessity. Often you have to get creative in the time of necessity. I mean, we run a nonprofit. We're called Holes in the Wall Collective. And we've been around seven years. We've been um, supporting uh, people who are looking to, looking past what is to really transform where we are, making holes in the wall of what is to see what can be. And um, we we got our 501c3 right before COVID and we thought, oh, how are we gonna do this? And so um, out of a sheer necessity and creativity, we made a six foot spoon um, to to go around and have people join the teaspoon brigade. And, and we can get into that a little later, but the mo- just to say the most wonderful thing with the spoon is that it just creates the sense of curiosity that 
people can help themselves. They have to know, they have to just say hi. And from there, it's a beautiful place to start a conversation. Um, even the kind of what the, <laughs> exactly. Um, so it's, we've met so many thousands of people and it's so wonderful that we stumbled upon you with our giant spoon yeah. and here so, we are. Yeah, so just to be clear, that was mostly Dira. Julia, can you just want to say hi so people can distinguish from the voices if they want to? Hello, everyone. This is Julia now speaking. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> and I just clear up for people who are not tax law experts. Uh, a 501c3 is a document that you, you apply for status, actually, and that's a uh, special tax-exempt charity. I'm not giving legal advice. I'm not giving accounting <laughs> advice. Nobody here is. Disclaimer, disclaimer. But I just so people know what the heck that means because it sounds so adult. For sure. I know, um, it's so adult. It's so adult. <laughs> yeah, and isn't it strange, you know, I'll be 60 in November, and I don't, I do not understand this adult thing. Have you guys have a clue about what this whole adult thing is about? You know, we, we love the story of the little prince <laughs> uh, for the reason of uh, sort of continuing to keep that, uh, what is often referred to as the inner child, you know, alive and well. Um and, and I mean, in our work, right, it's like, how do we continue to support that sense of curiosity and creativity and that place of suppleness that children exhibit so much better than adults do um, in, in uh, you know, in every field and crisis mitigation and looking at the giant behemoths of the world and that we're trying to change, like you have to be active in that sort of place to get anything to move and transform. So I'm all about keeping things not just in the adult. I don't way. know if we'd be walking around a giant spoon if we totally, <laughs> we were I mean, it's one of the beautiful things about, um, you know, running an organization and 503 is as, as, as you just said, is, you know, it sounds very adult and it is, there's all sorts of, you know, oh, yeah. paperwork that goes along with a nonprofit and there's a lot of um, reasons for that. And there's also reasons to continue to keep, um, keep a little joy going or else you really can drown in the paperwork and the bureaucracy. And it's, um, it's one of the things for us that we're, yeah. it's one of our, always that tension of how do we do this well mm -hmm. in all the ways and kind of play with it, mm -hmm. kind of throw a wrench or a spoon in it to kind of um, <laughs> keep things not how you would expect them to be so that we keep, yeah, as Julia said, supple and alive and energized. So yeah. Yeah. I, I think of Picasso making a statement. It took him several years to paint like, you know, some fancy painter, I can't remember who, and then he said, and then it took the rest of my life to paint like a child. Right. You know, once he had learned to master the skills, right. then he had to unlearn a whole mm -hmm. bunch of uh, rules that he had set upon himself or maybe society had set upon him yeah. to get to the, his much later work, which is so free. Uh, I also think one of the things yeah. that okay. I love- Yes. I just was going to say, it's a great story for where we are, right? Yeah. I mean, we're in this place of reckoning and learning. We got, we got to the pinnacle and the height of specialization. And, you know, our work where we really step in is saying, all right, that's awesome. There's people that have you know, spent their whole life learning the, spe the specificity of their craft and their field. But as we know, every giant crisis topic thing, the behemoths of the things that we're facing, again, are so intersectional and interconnected. And it's that un process of unlearning and reconnecting and finding new modalities is like where the innovation comes from and how we move forward. And I mean, that's that's like one of the main things that we do at Holes and Wall Collective is hold space for that kind of work and convergence to happen. 
Yeah. I mean, I, it's part of my mission in my law practice is I've been an actor and songwriter and still do all those things, or whatever. And I have a law degree and I do the law things. So I, I understand to suddenly take people who've spent their whole lives, you know, doing trust falls and, you know, wearing clown makeup and running, you know, doing all this stuff to then say, we have a variety of forms that the IRS has promulgated. We'd like you to look through these and see which one applies to you. Like that will slam on the brakes of creativity. It is, as my wife likes to say, it's just not sexy. And I feel like um, then it's great to have someone who can speak both languages. I like to do that, you know, be creative and also, you know, Mm -hmm. have to satisfy the bureaucracy. And that's not just lawyers, there's accountants, and there's all kinds of stuff. That's the world we're in. But but, but it doesn't mean you can't, you can't that also, uh, you don't have to say, well, I'm sorry, I'm just a creative and I don't look at math and then wonder why your credit card is a nightmare or like, right. you know, you have to like, you live in the world. So, you know, there's so much, there's so much room and creativity to also hold space for specialization, for details, for bureaucracy, for the forms. You know, it's, I went to grad school actually looking at um, the intersection between art activism and the law, um, thinking about the performativity um, of our, of our own representation and how that, and how so much of that in legal terms is something we don't even, most of us can't even speak and so what does that mean and you know and that's something that like that that the intersections of that mm-hmm. are actually I think the, the the binary of it there's creative and then there's bureaucracy is actually sometimes uh, uh, it's false, false yeah. you know there's there are good there's there's lots of acrobatics in between and there was creativity in creating the bureaucracy right so if we're if we're looking sure. at real systems and we're looking at system change then you also have to and you know you got to understand the language of it you got to unlearn it you got to find the spaces you got to make the holes in the wall of what is to see what could be to help how things change and thank god we're doing that work um, always and then collectively right now in, in really big ways, yeah. I, I, for so some I think reason, if more people oh. did forms on legal legally while wearing clown, like, I think if we like, <laughs> <laughs> we'd all have a lot more fun, let's be honest. I mean, it's like the form's gotta be done. There's a reason why the language is so specific. Yeah. Thank, thank God there are people like you who um, are diligent enough with each detail to know that. And like, you know, yeah, I want, I might need a little, I might need to do a cartwheel afterwards. That's like, <laughs> all I could think of was, you know, creativity and the bureaucracy was there had to be a great architect that designed the Death Star. And I thought maybe totally. that's kind of no, analogous. No, I mean, it's true though. Um, well, that's something I, that's, yeah, sorry. No, that's okay. I'm a Star Wars nerd. I want, I wanted to, before we get too far afield. Where's the Jedi? Where's the Jedi? <laughs> yes. okay, so I have a Jedi tattoo. Uh, showed another time. But um, so, Dara, I looked at your uh, resume. I think I approached you on LinkedIn or I saw it somewhere. And it was like, yeah. I, I literally like had to have a seat. Uh, there's a lot there. It's a kind of amazing. I was like, how have you done all of these things and you're not 300 years old? I'm not, I'm not asking I mean, your age. You might be. <laughs> like, you know, I'm if you're from another planet, old. which is uh, distinctly you know, possible. But so, yeah. so can you tell people just, a, you talked about that you've studied all these things. Can you give us just a little, and then I want to hear also from Julia, just a little bit of background. Like, I think you're both West Coasters. I could be wrong. Just give us a little background. To, sure. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I um, I grew up in Los Angeles, and I, um, at the age of nine, put on a green leotard and was cast as Puck, and um, 
you know, you so how now spirit quite loud while everyone else was like everyone else was all the teachers were like project and then to me we're like actually you're good you're good um i was it was the best role of my life to be a um sprightly spirit who was making a lot of mischief and uh, making it all work work out in the end uh and i loved it i fell in love and it became we uh it started like kind of lifelong love of performance for its immediacy and its um engagement with with uh with life without a limb and be and so that was really where how I dipped into a to a lot through my life through performance and to be a performer in this world means you also have to um usually do a lot of other jobs so for me I'm extraordinarily curious and I really don't take no for an answer when it comes from um when it feels false in the sense of well, you know, women aren't, aren't sushi chefs sort, sort of thing. And like, so, you know, yeah, when I was 24, I was a sushi chef in like an extraordinarily popular restaurant in San Francisco, all because I was audacious enough to, to say, I can, I can learn. And I, not only can I learn, but I, I want to do this and, and see what, what I, what it can give to me and what I can give from it. And I mean, I had a wild time when I was in my twenties, I was working at a corporate job and I just climbed the ladder really fast because I didn't need it. I didn't, I didn't need it to land me anywhere specific at the end. What I wanted was to um, have it be a, a container for, for really my inquiry. So I created an entire um, coffee certification that was bringing in uh, fair trade, direct trade, uh, geopolitical things. I mean, I made this whole um, test where people would go through the, all these things at the, you know, at the time the cappuccino, a dry cappuccino meant that it was like, you know, you didn't want to have any milk in it. So they'd have to put it over their head and, you know, not have the milk. <laughs> and it was a corporate, you know, flying to Seattle, all these things in my twenties, all my twenties. So I, I, I've done, um, I've done a lot of things, whether it's in food or design, um, designing for restaurants or websites or um, all these different things based from though the same, I think it's all based on the same root of um, of that curiosity, which is why it kind of lands me to where I am now with holes in the wall. Um, but yeah, and it all comes from that why I'm a performer, which is to um, to ask to ask the questions in an embodied way of life that like live the question, as Rilke would say, you know, that are always asking and and in response with the feedback. So. That's you are the first guest. You're the first guest that's quoted Rilke on this uh, podcast. Uh, who knows who Julia is going to quote? What about you, Julia? Where I'm not. It's not a. I didn't throw a gauntlet down. Who am I going to quote? <laughs> no, don't worry. I'm not. I'm not worried about it. Yeah, you know, I. I mean, I also am someone who's come from a background of doing many different things and have has really made a choice, an active choice, which feels so important in this world. Uh, where the specialization has been the thing that's more valued to really own that as having its own unique and really important value in the world, um, which I see more and more, especially where we are in these times. Again, if we're looking at climate change or racial inequity or any of the subjects that are, you know, hot on the ticket for us to, that we have to address, like everything is so interconnected and really takes the, the translation and the bridging and the pulling together of all of that to transform anything. And so I am someone who 
you know, found, I've done so many different um, artistic practices in my life and sort of this merging for me of what is uh, engaging in social justice work, but through uh, through the arts and kind of, the, and also a, a look at the basic needs, I, I landed myself in deciding to study uh, garment making and the world of fashion design, which I was like, really skeptical about a lot of parts of the fashion industry and what that meant. But for me, it was this look at where identity, where like functionality and where uh, art and expression all come together. And so for me, I was really interested in looking at clothing and dress as a, as a tool for social inquiry, as a tool for social justice, as a way of communicating new ideas and break bridging different communities together. And I was like full on in that. I was so excited in my, you know, in my schooling and came out with all this fire and energy also around like, how's the supply chain of the garment industry works and how, what's quality and how are we making things and workers' rights and sustainability and organic data and like just really engaged in all of that. And I was like, oh, and then I kind of like paused and looked around and was like, shit, there's really not that many people that are like in with me right here. And it was really when things had come back around and like the fire was really under those sorts of movements and expressions and awarenesses inside of food systems, which one of my professors really like alerted me to, which I feel so aware of now and like, you know, share this, which is that the trends that happen in food, clothing and shelter, like really follow each other. So what what comes up in food and what becomes really relevant then moves its way into the clothing sector and then really moves its way into the architectural and the shelter sector. And so I made an active choice, actually, at that point to go work on a farm and like be in a work trade situation. I totally got off of the like rat wheel of capitalism and was just in direct exchange with like my environment. And it was an incredible uh, learning for me and brought so much awareness of, you know, what we bring into our work at Holes in the Wall Collective also is that like, we need time and space to actually like sit down, incubate, strategize and figure shit out. And so often in our society, we're just like, go, 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 go. Like, we're always in that sort of place of exhaustion. And like, we say this joke sometimes, it's like, it's like, what do you do if there's like no time to make dinner? You only have 15 minutes to make dinner for 20 people. Like it's casserole. Like I don't want a casserole for my future. Like we can do better than that. You know, it's like, what are these sort of jokes? But like, it's really true. But like to change anything, like you gotta slow down, you gotta stop, you gotta like, you know, I, I gotta, I gotta, I'm gonna yeah. insert myself here for two Do things. Yeah, so first yeah. of all, for people just, and I, I'm going to probably say this a few times and it's going to be on the website for the podcast. It is holes in the wall collective.org. You can yeah. find out all about the mission. You can see Dira and Julia on there and learn more about them. But I do, I love this idea of slowing down. I have a friend who is a very good musical director of operas and musical theater. And he had to take over uh, a role as a musical director for somebody in a show. And he had one week to pull the show together and the director met with him. And then they had the cast and they said, listen, we have only one week. We don't have much time. So we have to go very slowly. Uh And I was like, oh, of course, you know, um, when I used to do rowing uh, for CrossFit, I'm not talking about CrossFit because I'm not a CrossFit person, <laughs> but, but when I did rowing, I had an instructor who said, slow is smooth. 
and smooth is mm. fast. Mm. There's a, there's a, I agree with you guys that the, the culture is incredibly speedy mm. in every sense. It's not just, we need this in three minutes. It's not just, I need to get my degree in two years instead of whatever. There, it's endemic. It is, there's a saying with people that I work with that how you are with anything is how you are with everything. Right, and yes. you're not just speedy in one place in your life. And the whole culture is speedy. And when you take the moment to look and start to slow down, to take care of the people around you, take care of yourself, you can see what needs to happen. Slowing down often is the one thing we don't let ourselves do, which probably would resolve, I'm just going to say it, 95% of the mistakes people make, whether it's a traffic mistake, a spelling mistake, a thinking mistake, a relationship mistake. Sometimes, you know, we talked about that you two are in a relationship and working together. During the pandemic, um, my wife and I do not go to offices. We are working literally in the same room often together. And to remember to take a breath, if you start to, like, she's a little loud on her phone call, and I notice that my body starts getting sensations about it. It's like, that's interesting. It's It doesn't mean to have a drama moment (laughs) maybe maybe there needs to be a conversation maybe you know like uh, you know who knows what all of that is but taking a breath and slowing down is good I believe I'm asserting for every situation you know Uh, oh sorry I also think for slow down slow down and breath and breath um I also think that process of of slowing down is a really important uh, sort of reminder and where where we're at right now. Also for looking at the nonprofit sector and the change making sector and like people are doing that work because what what can happen sometimes is that um, things can, ooh, ooh, everything's mixed together. Ah, I'm trying to say the point, I'm trying to say. We can easily, I think part of what we've seen and what has happened time and time again, too, is sort of in this realm of like the hero complex of like continuously creating all of the band-aid solutions. Nope, we got it. We didn't make any mistakes. We didn't make any mistakes. And in many ways, I feel like what we're in right now is like, hold on, pull down, sit down, take your breath, take in what the effects have been of all of these years of history to take in the information so we can actually behave differently. Well, and I would say with that, and something that Eric, when you just brought up what I, what I was kind of struck with, which is that to slow down also to, is revealing. Mm-hmm. And in that revealing, it can be quite um, uh, scary, really vulnerable to, it's one of the reasons why I think we don't slow down is that it shows all the hiccups. And I think it's, we are no longer in a, um, in a practice, mostly in our lives, of planting the tree that's gonna bear the fruit for us. In the sense, there's so many things in our culture where you just go and get that fruit and someone else grew it and someone else tended it. And, someone, and that is so tied to you know, capitalism, all these other <laughs> ways of, of, of modes where the whole time of something, of a birth, of a gestation, if you're looking at an idea, you're looking at how long does it take to destroy something versus how long does it take to create something? And like there's know- not a lot of farmers. We're not farmers. Yeah. And to yeah. see, you, you were just talking, Julie, about a farm. Mm-hmm. Um, 
to have an appreciation for how long it takes, you know, you don't plant to see come back the next day and go, where the hell is my fruit? Yeah. Like, yeah. and we've been brought up to have that kind of culture totally. for it, for sure. Uh, I look, I eat meat, but I also have been to places where um, I, I, I like to think I do it a little more ethically with pastured meats or whatever. I like to think that the pigs have happy lives and they have one bad day know, for the bacon that I have. I'm not going to get into a whole animal rights conversation that's going to take another four podcasts worth, but I will say having an appreciation for like where your food comes. It's just one tiny example of how our culture has become this speedy, not, not seeing things, you know, with Black Lives Matter, with the pandemic, we all, for those of us who actually were willing to look, had to face realities about our culture. It's just in ourselves. Exactly. Because we're three white people. (laughs) Well, I'll speak for myself. I'm white. You guys appear to be white. Um, I mean, you know, and I feel like, I don't know where I'm going with this. Sorry. I took us down a cul de sac. I think it's a, I think it's, I think it's one of the, (laughs) I think all of us might even trip up in our, even in the discussion of it, because even in our own awareness of how much we're um, and to stop in the midst of of us knowing what we're going to say and say that, you know, to have a little moment of, um, of that, of, of being off kilter. And I think it's one of the things to go back to curiosity. One of the love of the spoon is, um, it, it means that people are a little off kilter, which means that going, huh? What the, you know, because it means someone's off their normal access of what they expect, of what they know, of the normal narrative, of what happens in the park and the blah, blah, blah. And when you disrupt that through something that's not threatening, that's surprising, there's an opportunity to get off kilter. And when you're off kilter in a way that's not um, threatening or dangerous, there's this beautiful opportunity to actually learn, grow, listen engage and it's um it's a creative moment yeah it's a creative moment because i think all creation comes out of you know uh oh what you know you it's not uh, if you keep doing the same thing you always know there's no creation in that really i mean you may duplicate things but like true creativity comes from uh, that's what i like also about working with people as opposed to just doing everything yourself because you're, if it's all yourself, you're in your closed system. But if I introduce two people who come to me with a giant six foot spoon who are really cheerful and they're giving me some literature on the end of the spoon and asking for a donation, I mean, it's really, it was actually also very sweet. The interaction was sweet and made me and my friends feel that your organization was also about something sweet. Um, it was very unlikely that you guys were raising, you know, something for white supremacy in that moment, <laughs> which they aren't, just to be clear. <laughs> yeah, have, I just, I, have I ruined the moment by saying it was sweet? Because it, it was. I don't no, think that, no, no, it's, it's, it's been so magical it to has been. Yeah. engage with so many people in a generative and joyous way especially because we are fundraising. We're fundraising from thousands and thousands of people as a collective, you know, high five to humanity and to throw the wrench right in the nonprofit way of saying, actually, we're going to get a lot of our funding um, 
from mm-hmm. small little teaspoons. Um, and so fundraising is not fun or sexy, as, as your wife would say. Like, and so to do it in a way that feels like we're giving something in oh, yeah. engagement instead of just taking has been quite um, wonderful and sweet. Totally sweet. Absolutely. Absolutely. Can you talk about what Holes in the Wall Collective actually does? For sure. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, one of the one of the ways that we like to lead is to say we don't just do one thing or serve one community on purpose, Mm -hmm. um, because our work is really about where it all comes together. So our mission is to help rebalance the world that we're in through joy, creativity and action. And for us, it's looking at that, like most of the world's problems are because something is out of balance. Something's been given value over something else. Something's being seen. Something's been erased. Right. There's not. Uh, a balance that is that is happening and so for us we're looking at what it means to support the people that in every sector and in every field are doing that work to like ask the challenging questions to come up with projects we're working in institutions we're like moving things forward who have vision and are working to transform our world and that exists in every sector that exists in every community across generations, across identities. And for us, where it gets really interesting is what happens to create, to hold space for that kind of convergence. Um, And then also just creating the conditions for people to, again, have the time and space to like be in themselves and the things that they're creating, to get out of the crisis mitigation that they're doing on the ground, to like hold up, let me take two or three days to figure out my best strategy, right? Right. So we do that, we do that quite literally through um, residency programs by giving people a short amount of time because we find people have kids and jobs and they can't take six weeks, six months off, but they can take three to four days. And so we run like really short residencies, uh, whereas Julia says we converge people across um, context, identities, generations, um, and that recognition that as, as, as artists ourselves, knowing what it means to have that time, that that exists already in every field of people who are looking past, who are, who are working to transform where they are, whether it's a new curriculum in education or looking at um, food justice or looking at uh, climate mitigation. Those are, there are people who are doing that work. They're doing a project and they need time and space to get out of their context, get out of the crisis. And then they need to be with people who are not thinking like them. Mm-hmm. Um, and that, so that's a, we do residencies and then we, we, we do, we, we engage with the public in a way that takes the most kind of deafening or fatiguing subjects and brings some, some way of engaging it that doesn't suck. And a way that people can actually go into it, right? Whether it's climate change can be a great example because it's um we kind of know a lot of us know what it means, but it doesn't mean we necessarily don't take any airplanes or all these because we we even if we know the statistics, it's so hard and deafening and paralyzing to also have people say, well, it's basically already over and we're already dead. We're toast. You know, humanity's done. And you're like, great. So why should I just throw in the towel and take that cruise? Like what? Like what a horrible way to start. And so to be able to actually have to support the people that are doing meaningful, um, not greenwashed and deep dynamic work yeah. um, to be able to support them directly uh, financially and, and with, in terms of, um, learning more about them, giving them uh, in the spirit of it, bringing people together to learn more about these things in a way that doesn't feel shaming um, and can be joyous. So we always incorporate art mm-hmm. and um, 
and music and food, right? Like we, we, we do a lot of events and things too, that then are like, all right, this is a benefit for these six amazing organizations that are all doing incredible work on the ground for climate change. And then we're going to have this exhibition of these environmental artists. We're going to have live DJ sets. We're going to have dance, you know, dancing and all these things. So what are ways that we actually can and want to engage with each other as people, which is also really important, right? To like just be with a diversity of people in the room and to like be active and open to that. And then and then to be learning something and then to have your money go towards people that are doing that work every day on the ground. So part of our work is holes, at Holes in the Wall Collective is how do we integrate things in and create programs and events and uh, build our programming in such a way that like, it really is an invitation to engage. Cause I, I mean, I really, believe everyone wants to do better everyone wants to do something that's meaningful and important is going to make a difference in the world the opportunities aren't always there and sometimes the way that the opportunities are there are like either caught in an old system or they're do that thing that is like do you care about the environment and you're like of course i care about the environment but fuck <laughs> right it's not the right yeah we oh, I feel like you also make sure that people, like-minded people, find each other. I don't know if this is accurate, but I get the sense that you also help people network with each other in a way that there's collaboration and not just like give money to this organization, see you next time we need the money. Yeah, I mean, it's it's like like-minded and unlike-minded. I mean, that's what's so great about it is it's about in the sense of not to, oh, if we can just get everyone at the same table, um, we'll break bread and everything will be wonderful. It's that when you have people who are coming from really different and diverse contexts, identities, and sectors, by the nature of getting people together in the same place, sharing an experience or, or having time for their work in our, our residency programs, you have an opportunity to network in a way that actually expands and, and actually can like explode a silo as opposed to what happens a lot in this time, which is when you're just with the like-minded, you just actually ex kind of exacerbate or amplify right. the way you already feel. It kind of doubles down and pretty soon you're out there with the pitchfork complaining about everyone else with their pitchforks, you know, and that's not, and that. Yeah. That's why I stopped, I stopped watching certain news things, even though yeah. they were my news things. Right. Because like, I didn't feel better. It was just like, you can have a piece of cake once in a while and it's great. But if you eat a whole cake every night by yourself after a while, it's disgusting and right. you do not feel good. And I feel like I, without, you know, look guys, I'm pretty lefty and always have been. So you can guess what news programs I'd be watching. But even then I just have to stop. And I have to like turn off the Twitter, you know, I have to turn off those kind of things because I think it does. That's my silo. That's like my like-minded totally. group of totally. people. I we already know what we all believe and what we yeah, are. Right. Like, what's the point of, you know, screaming at each other in our tiny little basement church? You know, it's, I don't think it's doing anybody any good unless exactly. something comes of it. And I think we, in opportunities sometimes where I think there's a false kind of false opportunity where it's like, if we just get enough different people together, and yet if it's not in a shared experience or something we're, we're making together or, or a time for your, own, for your own work where you're not trying to convince someone else about what's better or right or wrong, but you're getting feedback to your own work or you're sharing in an experience, 
it, something else can happen. Because what happens sometimes if you try to get different people at the table is you just have an argument of people trying to convince each other. But if you have a people at the table who are all <laughs> having to figure it, like we're all making the lasagna together, you're like, there's going to be a lot of different ways the feedback goes into that. And it's going to be, I mean, maybe that's a bad example because, you know, I'm, you know, a Sicilian. And so my, my grandma's going to be like, no, there is a way to make the lasagna. And, you know, maybe there's a way to make the lasagna. And there's a way to, so in terms of, it's a, maybe it's a bad example. Is, have you been, have you been to Sicily, by the way? Oh yeah. Oh my God. Sicily. Uh-huh. I love Sicily. Where, where this is, is, this uh, is our ancestry. We have been, you know, kiss the ground, shake the uh, fucking shoulders. <laughs> oh, it's like, a I day. love Sicily. What part of Sicily do you, have you visited? Um, mostly the, mostly the east side, Catania and up in the, um, uh, Ortigia and um, yeah, and and uh, kind of along the, the coast and oh, near coast, Etna. Yeah. Um, Etna, yeah, volcano. I spent two and a half weeks there with oh, Holly, my. and I it is the greatest vacation I ever had. But but it wasn't just like oh, see this thing. There's some serious farmers in Sicily making amazing. Oh, yeah. Like we went to a goat farm where like. We sat there. They brought the cheese that they just made, sun-dried tomatoes that oh. I swear Jesus kissed right before they hit the table. I mean, it just like, you've never had a sun-dried tomato like from this place. Oh yeah, oh yeah. And totally. like, and you know, the wine is like made somewhere like down the road. It doesn't come in a bottle. It's just like on a pitcher. Yeah, it's still amazing. And then um, they show you where they have the cheese like in a sort of subfloor. It's got what the French call the smell of the feet of God, you know, yeah. and it's just like, yeah, it's, yeah. yeah. And then an olive place where a woman who looks like she was a movie star who must have married the count that owns the whole area and doing olive oil tastings. I'm telling you people, this has nothing to do with what we're talking about, but go to Sicily. <laughs> and then you, people oh, what the hell? Say it's, you know, it's funny because when I think of Sicily, it's all the other stuff too, right? Which is that it's, all that is that's what makes Sicily so amazing and it's also reminds me of New York Sicily because it and it has that so you're in New, Sicily and you're like I'm in Brooklyn right now I mean it's so like it's so just like what the fuck huh like did you like like it's so everything is so dramatic and everything is like it's it's not a big deal everything is so beautiful and 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 ripe and voluptuous and everything's a mess you know every I mean? day is an opera every day is an opera it's, but you know it's a lot of you know it's that that place has been um conquered by everyone in a way that has there's a lot of uh, oppression that has been um kind of uh experienced by the people in sicily um you can see it in the faces though like there's no such thing as one sicilian look because it's like that person comes from the line where the vikings came down that person is from when the moors came up that person i don't know what the hell they are but like five different tribes got together and that's that person exactly and that's the thing about like how it reminds me of new york in the sense of like it it there's something to from that that history which is quite complicated and and awful in some ways comes out of that a quite unbelievable um richness of of culture that is really complicated and really interesting. And you find that in any time that you have a smash of humanity, um, whether it was asked for or not, and that's all of history. And there's a lot to reckon with and be in that. And there's something to be said to hold 
um, culture that comes out of that is a great go back to like in any art, we know that a lot of art comes from often the circumstances weren't the best. And yet here we are with the things that we hold to be some of the best expressions of humanity, you know, whether it's even just a, a mirroring of our, of our grief, but done so well, you know? Yeah. Also there are parts of Sicily though, where you can't do anything quickly. So you might oh, no. as well oh, take oh, your time. No. When, when's that thing going to be fixed? Yeah. There's a, yeah. There's a special elevator for going down to the bottom of that mountain, but it's broken. When's that part going to be coming? I don't know. I don't know. Would oh, you like yeah. something to drink? Yeah. <laughs> they told us when I was when the car when the when the, we were looking for a rental car and the, you know the computer broke two two people before and it had already taken two hours to try to get blah, 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 blah. and I just lost it because I'm in Sicily for the first time. It's my lineage. I'm like I'm like this place, you know. And they just look at me and smoke and they go, maybe try some yoga. <laughs> like what do you worry about like what what's going on yeah, this place has been here for thousands of years yeah. before you showed up at this counter exactly. it's going to be here for thousands of years exactly. later have you tried some fresh ricotta exactly <laughs> have an olive yeah yeah um which i'm going to segue because i'm a master at this i'm going to segue this to remind <laughs> people by the way to check out holesinthewallcollective.org. You can get a lot more information on their mission, their people, how you might participate if you're interested. Um, and I feel like what you're doing when we talk about slowing down, you know, this is the whole Sicily thing. Um, there's a lot of joy that people have just discovered this year in participating in their lives other than going down the subway, coming back out, going to work. And I get it. If what you do for a living makes a difference, and many of us do, and we love what we do, and we have that be creative, but to be able to do something else too, we're really been, I think we've been forced to see that we are part of a community. We're not just living in really cool boxes and then driving in other cool boxes to get to the office box. We're really a community. And I feel like that's part of what the Holes in the Wall Collective uh, is and, and I feel like this year more than ever in my life, uh, it's it's come to the front that this is where satisfaction lies. Do you feel that way as well? Yeah, I mean, you know, it's so interesting in a lot of the ways in which we approach building the organization. It's very much so looking at many of the things that you're talking about of like, man, like what is what is missing for us? What are these things that we could give as an sort of opportunity uh, for people to dip into, to then bring and integrate into their real life. And we were, we were really mindful and clear that like what we're looking to do as an organization is not to build something that is an insular community or the commune sort of model or that, but like, how could we take the pieces from those sorts of models that are useful that we could so use in our modern world and kind of update it and like integrate it in a way where it doesn't uh, have to be dictated by a certain sort of size or insularity. And so we're really looking at, um, and it's part of the why we're out with the spoon and the teaspoon brigade is we're doing this huge campaign to build a center for creative research reflection action. Um, and it's going to be in the lower cap skills and the model that we're looking at for, for the work to happen there is kind of like that upgraded, like it's that upgraded version of, you know, the retreat center needs the co-working space for um, these sort of residencies that are super short on purpose. And as Dara was mentioning, like, 
you know, that opens up access to people who are working, who have jobs, who have kids. And also like our work too, is to figure out ways of how to, you know, invite, invite participation and accessibility that is different than the structure of how, you know, other residents or other things are set up in the sense of like, you know, having to show your pedigree or you had to already have this fellowship. You had to da da da. Like for us, we're interested in like, how are you thinking? Like, what are you doing? What's your contribution? Like, what are you working on? You know, uh, what are your, what are your blocks? What are the things like, what is inspiring you? Right. And we use, we utilize that sort of information as a way to sort of figure out how we can kind of match people in the same space. And so I think what we're really interested in that in Holden Wall Collective is how we can, uh, you know, create these scenarios, whether it's an event or out with this being out with a spoon, or it's literally coming for a residency and being in the space for, uh, you know, a few days at a time. How can we within that, like, hold space and create space for that sense of community to come together in the in whatever it is that's happening for the time span that it is. And then people go back out and they do their thing, but it's there, right? That spark is connected and it, and it translates across into, into people's lives beyond just that experience. And then, you know, you can come again, you come to another rent, you do all those things. And I think what you said, Eric, about, um, about this idea of, of people tap tapping in, Mm -hmm. Um, there's something uh, about our longing to to express and to communicate, and I think in this time we have also found why um, art in the me- in the immediate sense, and then other other ways of thinking of our own history or of our own economy um, need need some curiosity. And I think what you I think you hit upon in terms of community is like that that we all actually have that in us that is that that is looking for a way to express it. Right. And I think um, I think a lot of people real have realized during this time of like, oh yeah, like I miss fill in the blank live music, going to the movies when I'm with other people, um, yeah. being in a, like I miss people in a shared sense of expression and it's true not being in my little box like a little pete seeger (laughs) exactly exactly you know i i saw the documentary i think it's called on happiness or about happiness or where these people did a study of what makes people happy like what is the secret to happiness and they did it across several cultures nations whatever and two of the biggest things that i remember and i really focused on having in my life and they really work and my opinion and supporting me being happy are um, community and making a difference. And I feel like you guys are really, you're tied in with this organization. I just wanted to ask you about enthusiasm because as I was listening Mm -hmm. to you both talk to me, I'm taken by the level of enthusiasm you have, not about anything in particular, but about everything. Again, how you are with anything is how you are with everything. I feel like, we are from different chapters of the same tribe. Some of the people that you met that I was hanging out with were also in the enthusiasm tribe, not blindly hopped up, sugary, caffeinated enthusiasm, which I guess is fine. But like, it feels like you have a sense of purpose and that's driving your enthusiasm. I mean, is that true? Is there something? Can you talk about enthusiasm? Because I feel like that's, that's a some of the alchemy that we could really yeah. use is enthusiasm. Yeah, I feel like that. I mean, I think that deeply connects. I mean, you know, 
you mentioned that we're in a relationship with one another. Dear and I are actually married and uh, we've been married for five years. I was like, is it going to be six this year? No, we've been married for five years. And the organization, we've been, you know, an organization for just a bit longer than that. Um, and we really made a commitment um, to, you know, to ourselves, to each other and to the world, uh, which for us, like, is where Holzenwald comes in, is how we're connecting and engaging with the world that we're in, um, to, uh, to, to step to step, step towards all of it uh, with equal importance. And this work for us uh, both is uh, is very much so, you know, in that line of like, this is our purpose, our soul's work or whatever, if you will. Um, and I think that that level of, of real enthusiasm that you're talking about, that I think all of us can recognize in anyone when we find it, that like sort of authentic enthusiasm really comes from when you're, in that sort of space uh, where there's possibility, right? Where like the work that you're doing towards something actually is opening up space or a doorway to that sort of possibility. And to me, that sort of is what becomes that effusive enthusiasm. And for me, uh, you know, in this work, it's like, I can feel uh, sort of bubbling up that that alchemy, that possibility, as you're as you're discussing, um, as you're as you're mentioning, like when I when I can when I can feel and see, you know, the possibility of people coming from all of these different sectors, these different fields coming together, or working on these giant like to lift up and to support all of that work, and also to support other people in finding that themselves. Like that's where that energy uh, really does sort of spread and and grow and become um something bigger i mean that's also the teaspoon brigade metaphor i'm reminded of when i used to um uh run a, a coffee shop in san francisco and uh i would not hire people i'd say do you have a, the ability to have a sustained enthusiasm because i was like you're gonna say yes and you're going to take this job. And for one week, you're going to care so much about it. And then you're not going to give a shit because it's a copy job and it's not the thing in your life. And I'm like, but that's actually a choice. And if you're spending eight hours a day in this job that's giving you money, how can you find something that's actually going to spark that? So for me, it like that's me from day one out of the womb, <laughs> whether it's my work, and also, whether it's talking about coffee, like you love coffee. And I'm like, no, I love, I'm doing this. And so because I'm doing this, I want to learn as much as I can. And because I'm in a place where I can learn and otherwise it stops, right? Otherwise it, it ends. And so I remember so much those interactions with employees who that, that difference between like, yeah, I'm just going to check out. Right. I'm just yeah. like, or, Oh man, I just did this thing with this latte art and blah, blah, blah. We come in three weeks later after training them. They'd be like, dear, oh my God, I found it. You do this thing with the, da, 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 with the beans, you know? And I'm like, I thought you hated coffee. I do, but it's so cool. Cause it's like, and I'd be like, I would feel myself like, ah, cause they were like, I'm right. here anyways for eight hours. It's not what I'm gonna do for the rest of my life, but here I am. So I am going to fill it with something worth and it. And it, it feeds, it feeds the rest of your life. I have lots of friends who are performers of various kinds and, you know, actors just become baristas in New York. It's kind of a thing. <laughs> and what happens is they think of it as their day job, unless right. they're brilliant. If they're brilliant, what they realize is if they have fun and enthusiasm and bring themselves to their day job, 
they're going to have that energy to bring to an audition because you can't, like I said, how you are with anything is how you are with everything. You can't live eight hours a day waiting for your life. It is not empowering. It is not joyful in the same way that you cannot now look, it's all been revealed for most of us who've paid attention. The curtain has been pulled. You can't pretend that the way you're living is okay. When other people are living so terribly, we need to have a hand to help our, our brothers. There is, I just want to get this. I don't remember who the uh, enlightened teacher was, but he was holding an audience uh, some kind of Swami or whatever, and I can't remember his name, some great teacher, and someone said, how do we treat others? And his response was, well, first, you have to realize there are no others. Yeah, exactly. And, and ever since I heard that, I've tried to find a way to shoehorn that into my life yeah. every day. And yeah. I feel like what's so wonderful about meeting you both is it was such an example of there are no others. I just found two siblings that I didn't know I had, and it was really cool to have you stumble across a little road, and you didn't stumble, <laughs> just to be clear, you weren't stumbling, uh, to stroll, to amble joyfully <laughs> across a little road in Prospect Park and meet me and my friends. And I'm so glad you got to spend some time with me today and with the listeners is there anything you feel that you wanted to talk about or say that we didn't talk about or say because we're going to have to wrap up soon you know i'd love to just say the story of the teaspoon brigade because i unless i just um because i think it, it's a good way to end this which is this it's also um inspired by pete seeger of like how things will actually change in the future is that it's this little things and it's it's this idea that there's a giant seesaw and on one side is this basket filled with rocks and it's all the things you just you just hate about the world and humanity that never seem to change no matter what and on the other side is also those little teaspoons you know and our little actions and the things we're doing to rebalance to change and it just feels sometimes like why do we even try and everyone's around laughing like you know it's just gonna pour right out and nothing people been trying that for years and the idea is one of these days, one of those teaspoons is going to tip the scale and it's going to be the same size as all the other teaspoons, the thousands and thousands and thousands. And it's such a beautiful story about um, it's not just our action. It's also our inaction. You know, it's all the times we don't put the teaspoon in is is part of 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 it, too. And so I guess for us with our giant spoon um, to be able to invite everyone to put in their teaspoon um in 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 all the ways is just um is a real testament to that and so i just um yeah i just i love that story and it, it um it's a good kind of culmination and yeah it's been wonderful talking to you eric well dear Rao and julia meeks Julia, did you want to say something real fast? No, you're shaking no, your head. Like, you're making a lovely face at me, which is very nice. It was, it, she was like, do you want to say something whispered? And then uh -huh. I was like, no, 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 let him finish. It's perfect ending, but it's cool. No, no. Well, it's all good yeah. Too. So dear Rob, <laughs> Julia, thank you so much for being on. Is that really legal with Eric Rubin? It was Is this pleasure. legal? Is this legal? It is now because I said this. <laughs> I'm a lawyer. I don't remember. There used to be someone who was on a show and she used to go, well, I'm a lawyer. And I used to just laugh and laugh because I don't, I don't, yeah, it's, well, in any event, thank you guys. It was really <laughs> a pleasure. 
enjoy the rest of your day and thanks so much for thank being on the show. Too. Thank you so much. Bye. See, I thought they were cool. I think the whole idea of that is cool. And Star Jones is the attorney woman. I think she might have been on The View about a million years ago. Who used to say, I'm a lawyer. Um, let's put that aside for the moment and say, did you like the show? Let me know. Go to isthatreallylegal.com. Leave me a message. You can subscribe to the show on, you know, Apple, on audio, uh Audible, on all these organizations that bring these podcasts to you. Subscribe. You can leave reviews. We're getting five-star reviews on the show. Thank you for you people. Um, just let me know who else you'd like to hear on this podcast and what you think I should do because you guys are the whole reason for this podcast. I'm having fun and I'd like you to use this as an opportunity to think about what you can do for fun that also makes a difference. All right, so that's going to be it for this week. Um, you can find out more about those lovely people uh, on the website, isthatreallylegal.com. And uh, you'll be hearing more from me as well soon. I uh, hope everything's great with you. Please get the vaccine if you haven't done it yet. Some people still need to wear masks, and I think we just need to take care of each other, okay? Make sure that your neighbor has enough to eat. All right, really, like, check in on that uh, elderly couple. Are they okay? Thank you so much. And see you soon. Bye-bye.